Well, good morning. It is not raining yet. We are doing good. Um, I want to start off a new series today, and it's entitled 50 Days of Love. You see it with the new wooden banner that we have, and just as a way to brag on James a little bit, he made that, which I just think is the coolest thing ever. Uh, so if you see him say, good job, man, that was really cool. Or if you don't like it, don't say anything, I guess. But reality is I want to start talking about this whole idea of love today. And um, to, I guess as a way to begin this discussion, I, I want to ask you guys a question, and I want you to fill in the rest of this sentence. My aim in life is blank. My aim in life is blank. What word or phrase would you use to fill in that blank? What are you shooting for in life, in other words? I'll give you some examples. That my aim in life is success, and so everything I do is to try to move up the corporate chain or to get that promotion or do this or that. My aim in life is happiness, and so I'm totally focused on trying to always be happy. My aim in life is comfort or security. My aim in life is recognition, to be noticed. My aim in life is fun. Or sometimes my aim in life is a dry diaper every once in a while, right? I was telling my kids that I was changing diapers for nine years straight, and they thought that was pretty cool. Uh, My aim in life is approval. Sometimes the approval of others means everything to us, and we do everything based on that. And I ask that because the answer to that question really determines your dominant life principle. And everybody has a dominant life principle, whether you recognize it or not. Your dominant life principle is what you refer to unconsciously every day when you have multiple choices and you have to make a decision. For instance, if my dominant life principle is fun, then if I get two invitations to go out for the evening, I'm always going to choose the one that's going to be the most fun. If my dominant life principle is security, then I'm always going to make the choice that makes me feel the safest or is the least risky. If my dominant life value is comfort, I'm always going to do the thing that's the easiest. When I make choices, I'm going to choose the things that's the easiest or requires the least amount of effort. If my dominant life principle is to be recognized, then I'll tend to choose things where people notice me. But I think it's a great question to ask, but maybe a greater question to ask is, what does God say should be our dominant life principle. What does God say we should be shooting for in life? What what does God say we should be about in life? Those kind of questions. And he actually answers that in 1 Corinthians 14.1. He says this, make love your greatest aim. Hence the series that we're doing, right? Make love your greatest aim. And you start asking, why in the world did he pick love? Out of all the things that he could say we could aim our life as, shoot for in life, why did he say love? And the answer to that is what we're going to be talking about in this new series on 1 Corinthians 13. And I guess as a way to quickly introduce that, I want to kind of go through this chapter to see what God says about making love our dominant life principle, the thing that's of greatest priority to us. And I want you to notice a few verses in the way he begins 1 Corinthians 13 that makes it um, and shows us why it's such an important value. I guess the way I want to kind of begin this, though, is I want to give you a context for why this is, I think, is such an important thing. Uh, Valentine's Day is nowhere around here, so this is important in and of itself, right? And I would just say this, that the love of most in our world has grown a little bit cold. Anybody disagree with that? Our love for our brothers and our sisters in, man, in our world today, our love for our brothers and sisters even sometimes in the church, has grown cold. And Matthew tells us why that happens. It's because of the lawlessness in the land, right, or the lawlessness in our culture that the love of many will grow cold. And it makes sense that when there's lawlessness, it creates fear, and fear creates um, selfishness, and then selfishness creates a cold heart. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Why is it that you don't pick up hitchhikers anymore? 
right? I mean, anybody still pick up hitchhikers? There's not too many out there today, but why wouldn't you? Because you say, I see on the news that somebody tried to pick up a hitchhiker and was robbed at gunpoint. Or I, I, I read about another one where, you know, somebody tried to pitch, pick up a hitchhiker and they were abducted. And so because of the lawlessness of our land, and we have fear and fear makes us selfish. And now we don't care about that person who's stranded on the side of the road because their hearts have grown cold. Why is it that you don't give to the people on the street that ask for money? Because I've seen on the news that in California, they're making six figures panhandling, right? And I'm not going to contribute to that. Or I've read a lot of times that they use it for alcohol and, and meth and, and all kinds of drugs, and I don't want to contribute toward that. So because of the lawlessness, people's poor choices creates fear on how they're going to use that kind of money, which creates selfishness, which hardens our heart. Those are some extreme examples, but I bet there's people in your family, whether your immediate family or extended family, that your heart has grown a little bit cold toward. Why? Because of the lawlessness. It's created a fear or distrust in how they will respond to your care. So it's made you selfish and your hearts have grown cold. And if we can do that to our family, absolutely we're doing it at work, absolutely we're doing it in our neighborhoods. And that's why you see the mess in the world that we have today. Our hearts have grown cold, and yet God says that love should be our greatest aim, that they should know we're Christians by our love. And I'll tell you, if we were more loving, it'd be like a light on a very dark night. They'd see it from everywhere. So I want to go through, he says some things at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. It says that love should be our priority, and I'm just going to go through some of them. Without love, he says, nothing I say then will matter, because I really don't care what we have to say until they know that we care. Fair enough? In verse 1, it says, If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but I didn't love other people, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. God is saying that without love, that sometimes our words are just noise. Words without love are empty. Now, it's true that we're often impressed by really great speakers or oratory gifts or great communicators, or eloquence, charisma. We love all those different things. We love to hear somebody really ring our chimes or really inspire our hearts or do something internally where we're like, wow, that was really good today. But God says that doesn't really impress me at all. What impresses me is not how good a communicator you are, but do you love? Is the, your life a life of love? Maybe another way to think about that, and I use this a lot, but imagine there's a circle of all the people that we absolutely love. Love as much as we love ourselves. That, okay, that's the criteria, which is pretty high bar because we're in a me-centric society. We love ourselves a whole lot. Okay, let's just be fair. So who's in that circle? If that's the criteria, oftentimes it's just us because, I mean, we are completely selfish and self-absorbed and we live in a me-centric society, so everybody's encouraging us just to love ourselves. For parents, lots of times we'll include our kids because what else makes us get up in the middle of the night to respond to their cries or when they're sick? Sometimes we include our spouses, right? Certainly in the first year we do, you know, as it continues on. Sometimes we include our spouses in there, okay? Who else? Maybe a couple of friends. And then we shut it down toward everybody else. And we say, hey, I'll pray for you, but we really don't want to do anything about it to contribute toward helping the situation. But... We'll pray if we remember to pray and our hearts are just a little bit colder. God says, I need love to be the most important thing because living a life without love means that nothing I say will matter. Without love, all I know is incomplete. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, 
You can have a Phi Beta Kappa key. You can become a Mensa member. You can have so many degrees, they call you Dr. Fahrenheit, right? It just won't matter because without love, it means nothing. You can be a genius, a brilliant, walking encyclo Bible encyclopedia. You can memorize and quote the whole New Testament, split a theological hair 16 different ways, answer all the Bible questions, unscrew the unscrutable, but God says it doesn't matter. I want you to think about that for a second. Have you ever met somebody that seemingly knows a whole bunch about the Bible, but man, just arrogant as I'll get out, just thinks they know everything about everything? I had some professors like that. I went to school with some kids like that. Just, there's no love in it. They just love pounding on you. They, they love telling you the way that you should live your life. They tell, love telling you about all these different things, but they weren't doing it from a spirit of love. And I tell you, it's hard to receive that when somebody's coming at you from a, a, a holier-than-thou or a I, I know everything sort of perspective. Scripture even says this. It says, knowledge puffs up, and it tends to, but love builds up. In other words, it's better to have the right heart than it is to have the right mind. And I say that because today we're in a knowledge explosion. The world is exploding with all sorts of information and knowledge. You can get it right on your cell phones. We're inundated with updates. You can't keep up with it. Yet, are any of man's basic problems being solved? No. The world isn't looking actually for more knowledge today. It's looking for more love. And without love, all I say is ineffective, and all I know is incomplete. In fact, whatever it is that you say that you know about God and his love for you and his, your forgiveness and about his word and his truths and his promises, if you're not doing it in a spirit of love, if you're not sharing with other people so that they can experience that love, even what you know isn't really working the way that God intended it. All that I believe is insufficient. If I have faith and can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And so again, it doesn't matter how much you believe, how many things that you know about God, if you don't have his love, it doesn't count. There's a misconception about Christianity that all being a Christian involves is knowing certain truths, doctrines, holding to certain beliefs. Someone could say, I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus. That's awesome, except Satan believes in Jesus. Satan believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The real question is this, do you love Jesus? Do you trust him with your life? Do you love other people in Jesus' name even when it's hard? Christianity is a lifestyle, and it's a lifestyle of love, God says. In Galatians 5, 6, it says the only thing that counts is faith, your understanding of God's truth, understanding of his love, of your forgiveness, expressing itself through love. And if you're not using it to express love, you're doing it wrong. Some of you guys need to write this verse on your calendar. You need to write it on your schedule when it gets bogged down and you start getting stressed out and you start needing to get grumpy that the only thing that matters or that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith is super important, right? But it means zip, Paul says, without love. And finally, he says, all that I give is insignificant. If I give all I possess to the poor but have not love, I gain nothing. This says that you can give everything you've got, not just tithing, but everything you've got and still not have any love. And now, to be honest, I don't know many, too, too many people that do it that way, but I know enough. Why? Because I've found that people can give for selfish motives. Sometimes even we can. People can give for a lot of different reasons. Some people give for prestige so that they can get their name on a plaque. They think of it as legacy. Hey, look what daddy's name is on. It's on the side of this church or on the name of this building. Some people often give for power and control. I see this a lot. A lot of parents give their adult kids money so that they can control them, control how often they visit them, control how often they call them, control. 
You can give out of obligation, out of guilt. I've seen some people do this to their harm. But just because you give doesn't mean you're doing it in love. You can give without loving, but I tell you, you cannot love without giving. Giving is a mark of your love. A guy told me one time, I don't understand. I've given my wife everything she's ever wanted, but now she's divorcing me. And the reality is you can give your wife the biggest diamond ring you want, but if you don't love her, that's ultimately what's going to matter. And she sees through the bling eventually, and she sees that she's not cared for. Have you ever seen guilty parents trying to buy off their kids? Dad's never home, never there. The relationship has been strained, so he goes and buys them some $200 tennis shoes that pump up in 16 different ways, you know, but, and then ends up being just a lot of hot air. Kid would get anything to spend time with dad or to have a real conversation with dad, but it's just stuff. Just because you give doesn't mean you're doing it in love. In fact, if you don't do it in love, as those examples show, it just doesn't matter. And so one day, God is going to do an audit of our life. And he's going to evaluate our life. And he's not going to focus on our accomplishments or on our bank accounts. He's going to look at our relationships, how many people are in this circle, right? And to evaluate how we lived. And he says this in summary, God is saying, I can have all the eloquence of an orator, all the knowledge of a genius, all the faith of a miracle worker, all the generosity of a philanthropist, all the dedication of a martyr. But if I don't have love, it just doesn't count. Because life without love is zero. And Paul hammers this point about priority of love from several different angles. And then he goes on and talks about the practice of love. And in Colossians 3 verse 14, it says, Most of all, let love guide your life. How do you do this? Well, the Bible actually tells us, and I'm going to give you God's definition of love, and it is a very different definition than our world gives it. And I'm going to go back to this verse a little bit as I go through the rest of the sermon, but I want you to remember God's definition of love, because every time I refer to it, this is what he's talking about. He says that love is patient, even when you don't want to be. That love is kind. That it doesn't envy our siblings or our neighbors or our friends. Does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. It's not self-seeking, which is really hard for most of us here. It's not easily angered, even on the freeways. Keeps no record of wrongs, so we can't bring it up in the next argument. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. Here, can you say this? Always trusts. We're not so good at that. Always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So let me ask you just quickly, what kind of lover then are you if this is the definition of what love is? And the answer, at least for most people in our society today, is we're not very good at this. We need lessons. We need somebody to show us how to love better, more completely in our lives. We actually crave for people that would exhibit these kind of things in our life. And so as a result, we're going to take a look at this very seriously, and we're going to go through each of these words and take a look at them at, in depth as we go through the series. But this morning, I just want to start by making two points about love that if you get them are not just going to be really helpful, but they'll transform your life because they are very different ways of looking at love than our world looks at it. The first thing I want to share with you is that love is an action. Love is a show-me sport, right? It's not something you feel then. It's not something you say. Love is something that you do. Notice again in that verse, I just read all the action words that are involved with that. These are things that you do. Love isn't just talk. It's not just words. It's not just lip service. Love acts. Again, it's not just words. Love is an action. It's a demonstration, not an inclination. I'll give you an example of that. I think probably the greatest black preacher in American history is Dr. E.V. Hill. I think he was a pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles for a lot of years. 
He was a, a tremendous man of God, an, an intellectual giant. And I think the thing I like most about him is that man, he, he, just, he would just tell it the way it was. He didn't care who was listening. He, many times in his ministry in the inner city of Los Angeles, he just called things the way he saw them, and he pointed out injustice, and he pointed out when things were wrong. And as a result, many, many times in his ministry, he received death threats. In fact, he received them constantly on his life. One time after he said something on Sunday morning, there was a threat that he was going to be bombed during that next week, and he took it very seriously. One day coming home, he noticed his car wasn't there. He immediately thought either somebody had stolen it or they were tampering with it, you know, putting a bomb in it. He sat down on the front steps of his porch, just really worried, stressed out about the whole situation, praying. And all of a sudden, about 30 minutes later, I guess, his wife drove up in his car, and he said, what are you doing? She says, well, she was very aware of the threat. She said, you know, I got to thinking this community needs you more than it needs me. And if they were going to rig that car to be bombed, I wanted me to be in it and not you. Hill said, I, I always knew that my wife loved me, but now I understood what love was truly all about. Love is an action. She made a choice to love her husband, even if it meant her life. Which just leads me to the second thing I want to give you. Love is a choice. You choose to love and you choose not to love. There's this, this fantasy or this, this lie that's going around that love is just something that you can't help. It's just something that you fall into like it's a ditch or something, right? But that's not true at all. Love is something that you can control. And I say that because a lot of people that say, I love you, three or five years later are saying, I don't love you anymore. The divorce is rampant in our country. And so they've chosen to love for a while, and then when things got hard, they chose not to love. But it's always your choice. You choose to love or you choose not to love. But love is not a feeling. If it were, you, could, you, you couldn't force it, but you can force yourself to act in loving ways. In fact, oftentimes, when you don't feel like it, it's actually a greater expression of love when you do something even in spite of your feelings. Love is when you do the loving thing even when you don't feel like it. For example, love is getting up in the middle of the night and taking care of a sick kid when that's the last thing in the world that you want to do. Love is being patient with your husband or wife when they're acting like a jerk and they're being irritable. Love is giving a person what they need and not what they deserve. Love is a choice. But that's what love is. It's an action, right? It, when you love in spite of your feelings, when you love even when you don't feel like it, that's what I call loving in faith, right? It's a lot easier for you to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into action. I, I, I base this on a lot of studies, but I also base it on trying to get up in the morning. If I have to feel like getting up in the morning, I can sleep a long time. I just don't feel like it. I don't want to get up. So what prompts me to get up? Love. Love for my family, to engage with them, to spend time with them. On Sunday morning, it's love for you guys and love for my family so they have a paycheck, right? I mean, it's, it's love that gets me up. It's, it's not feelings. Because the last thing I want to do on a Sunday morning is get out of bed. Is that fair? The reality is, is it's easier to act your way into a feeling than feel your way into an action. If you act in loving ways, God's promise is that eventually the feelings will come back, and I promise you they will. They always do. I read a story about a young mom who felt just overwhelmed, and she was battling depression. Her schedule and her demands in her life were just heaped upon her. She said this, All I seemed to be doing was nagging at my kids, barking at them, and scolding them incessantly. And when I looked at myself in the mirror, I just saw a witch. In my tears, I cried out to the Lord. And in her quiet times of praying and reading the Bible, the answer came in 1 Corinthians 13. She said, five words leapt off the page to me. 
Without love, I am nothing. So she wrote these words all over her house, put them on her refrigerator door, on the dashboard of her station wagon, on the calendar. Without love, I am nothing. She said, I realized the most important thing I could do was love my family. Again, the way that God defines it above. So I began to live my life by love. I began to run my home on love power. It was as transforming as when I became a Christian in the first place. It brought happiness back into my life and into my home. She made a choice. She took an action. Paul says we need to make love then, loving God and other people, the number one objective of our life. It is truly what's wrong with our world today. People have stopped caring for each other, stopped caring about relating to each other. You see that most grossly in politics, right? They're just screaming at each other, accusing each other of whatever, but they don't care about working through anything. Sometimes that translates to our family where we're just screaming at each other, putting each other down, not caring if we work through anything. Why is this so important? Because ultimately God is love, right? It's why he sent us Jesus, and it's why I believe that the sign of a Christian, the mark of, a, of what a Christian should be, is not the cross, it's not a crucifix, it's not a dove, a fish on a bumper, or a crown. It's love. The sign of a Christian should be the way we love other people. And people are attracted to a church that loves and cares for them because they don't experience it very, very many other places. They're attracted to by the love of God. People don't care what we know until they know how much we care. And so we need, what we need in our, our culture today is not more theology or more oratory. What we need most of all is more love, the love of Jesus. And that's my prayer for our church, that we know not for the music or for this huge slide that we're going to have out there in a little bit for kids to go down and for some adults, right? But rather, this is the church where we love people in truth, where you go there and they don't know any better than just to love you. And just to care about what's going on in your life. And we do that because that's the way God loves us. He cares about you so much. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He's rooting for you the entire way. He's providing you strength to get through the next moment. He's even given you a hope and an understanding of heaven. He's got you from the beginning of your life to the end. And he's working with you until you're there. He just wants us to share some of that experience with other people. That's the kind of church that pleases God, where they know that we're Christians by our love. All God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, as we go through this series on love, it's a hard one, Lord. We recognize the absence of it in our culture. We see the rage on the freeways, the rage in the TV. We hear even the, the frustrations and the snarkiness at work, and there's a lot of judgmentalism, there's a lot of slander, a lot of accusation, just not a whole lot of love. I think it's really hard, Lord, is when even it affects some of those people that we want to have in that circle, and they're just not because our love's grown cold toward them. Sometimes this includes extended family, sometimes even our immediate family. And we get, Lord, it's because of the lawlessness, and that creates the fear, and that creates the selfishness. We got all the excuses in the world, but I pray this morning, Lord, is that you would help us love other people the way that you love us, unconditionally, trying to practice some of the things that you talk about in your word, that we'd be more patient, more kind, less self-seeking. Father, if we could start that movement of loving people more, it would transform certainly our lives. 
maybe our community's lives, maybe eventually the world. We pray that you start that movement today. And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.